Welcome to an Overthinking It podcast special supplementary episode. My name is Peter Fenzel, and I am here to delve into the unexplored. We have a very special dialogue today, not between me and someone else, but between two previous guest experts on Overthinking It properties, two of the luminaries who have visited us foremost in their fields to discuss an as-yet-undiscussed, as far as I know, as-yet-unknown pop culture phenomenon. Yes, I am talking about the deep dark depths of the number one movie in the world as of some point in the last two weeks. We are going to fulfill the promise of this website to uh, subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny it doesn't deserve by turning our focus onto the not legendary, the not really seen by me or, or by most of the Overthinking It podcast, but still very, very worthy of discussion, the amazing... Spider-Man 2. If you have not seen The Amazing Spider-Man 2, that is okay, because from what I can tell from talking to these two luminaries, there is not much of a reason to see <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, we'll, go into dis- we'll go into detail about whether that's the case or not. This will have spoilers. This podcast will have spoilers, but uh, as is the case, uh, often we say, okay, go watch the movie, then come back and listen. Uh, I feel like this is the kind of... This is less of a... Uh, this is less of a wire discussion and more of a sex ed talk, where the things, the, the questions on your mind that you feel like you're afraid to ask, uh, this is exactly why we're all here. Uh, and we're not going to split it up by gender. We're going to tackle it all, all in one go. Amazing Spider-Man 2. To recap, they're still making Spider-Man movies, mostly to prevent Marvel from making Spider-Man movies. Sony is making Spider-Man movies. And Andrew Garfield from The Social Network is the amazing Spider-Man. But first, I must introduce you to the two luminaries who will be our special guests in this moderated, semi-moderated discussion of this commercially successful series of still photographs accompanied by sound. Um, so, <laughs> first, uh, that, that laughter is from none other than the world's foremost expert on the Fast and the Furious franchise, Ms. Hannah Full. Hannah... Uh, Hannah, your hello. question. Hello. Oh, it's such a such a real joy and pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, for this episode. Stop, Mother, stop. Our Tokyo Drift podcast is still one of my favorite episodes of all time, and I really encourage people to go back and listen to it. I'm I'm very proud of it. I was only super wrong about one thing in that podcast. <laughs> well, you know what? If if we could, if you know, if we if that's all we could manage, Dianu, right? If any of us, <laughs> if any of us could be only super wrong about one thing uh, at any given hour of recorded talking. Uh, Dianu. So your question, we have to start out with a question of the week. Your question yes. is, uh, let's say that we had to rename this film, because clearly mm. the naming of it was not something that took a lot of time or effort for anybody who was involved. Mm. And you wanted to take out the word amazing and replace yes. it with another adjective, perhaps a verbal adjective. What yeah. verbal adjective would you use for the so Amazing Spider-Man I, I would replace it, because the thing that I don't like is that people keep talking about it. They're like, oh, how about that Amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> and I feel like it's tricking people. They're like, oh, is it amazing? Because <laughs> um, it really did. I was like, man, did someone think the ending of that movie was amazing? Um, because I forgot that that was just the title of the movie. Mm. Um, so I would go with the foreseeable Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Explain, explain. Because, I mean, for anyone who has even a passing knowledge of the Marvel Universe, I feel like this movie started, it happened, and you knew exactly what was going to happen at the end. Um, it was uh, It was the most expected dramatic ending probably of any movie 
movie ever. Probably even more than the Titanic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I said it. I was about to bring that up as a counterexample, but you know, I think you're right, Hannah. <laughs> All right. So that that voice right there, that voice right there, and we, we can get back to our different uh, qualifications of it, belongs to the world's foremost expert on Arrested Development, former uh, or recent or sometime Overthinking It podcast guest, Ben Snitkoff. Hello, ben, Peter. Hello, how are you? Now, I will clarify, not only did these two luminaries who have been on the podcast months and months apart from each other see this movie, but they saw it in the company of one another for movie-watching purposes. We uh, did. We, you did which we I, also yep. saw it at 9 a.m. <laughs> Wow! So this was uh, this was amazing. This was an amazing Spider-Man experience. <laughs> um, so yes, so the idea that overthinking it worlds are colliding should please all of our uh, all of the writers at overthinking it slash fiction dot com. This is the great overthinking it crossover episode. <laughs> indeed, indeed. This is overthinking hashtag OTI movie morning is uh, something that we we probably should do in the future. But Ben, what is your Spider-Man adjective? Perhaps Spider-Man uh, verbal adjective. The dramatically underwhelming Spider-Man, oh. and I mean that in. Every sense of the term dramatically underwhelming. Like, the drama in it was, in fact, underwhelming, and overall, I was underwhel- over, uh, underwhelmed by the movie. Underwhelmed entirely. And, and even in the sense of whelming as a uh, as an aquatic phenomenon that, like, rushes up and, and subsumes things under the surface of water. I guess underwhelm, to, like, to whelm something with a wave... Like the magic card, uh, the new ma- newish magic card, a whelming wave is, but underwhelm is to like have a little bit of water puddle around your shoes and then run away. I suppose. Yeah, it's like when you let it lap over your feet and they just sink slightly into the damp sand. Right, right, right. That was underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you say that, but when I talked to you about this movie, you just gushed about it with such passion. Uh, the conversation. This is part of what inspired the podcast. Is I was I was having a tasty burger with Mister Snickoff, and, and the occasion and that burger yep. is. T- in every sense of the word. That is true. That is true. It's uh, we were celebrating the birthday of TFT podcast host Ryan Sheely, and and Ben just gushed about this movie. I was overwhelmed uh, by the wave of Spider-Man discourse that came out of Ben while we whilst we were eating our meat products. Uh, but you say the movie itself is underwhelming and left you with a, less of an impressed sense. Right. Well, all of those gushing, I don't think I said anything positive in <laughs> anything positive about that film in in the amount of time I spent talking about it. Well, the most positive thing you said was that Hannah felt differently about it than you did. Yes. Even though I don't think it meant that it meant that she had entirely different objections to the movie than yours, or at least like more largely like interestingly contrasted. Yes. So Hannah, to go back to what you said, the foreseeable. Spider-Man 2, which I think is a I think they just should have called it that because I feel like that's just an amazing name yeah. uh, for it. So let's let's let the cat out of the bag uh, for everybody who is at all familiar with the Spider-Man mythos. Uh, what is the storyline of the foreseeable Spider-Man 2 that we are pursuing? Um, it's a pretty groundbreaking uh, storyline for comic books. Um, the superhero has a girlfriend. Um, and she's really smart and pretty and exciting. Um, and then in the end, in order to um, give him some character development and something to be sad about, yeah. she dies. What? Yeah. <laughs> Gwen Stacy dies. Wow. Which is like, I think, I forget who said it, um, but somebody said that, like, the most notable fact about Gwen Stacy is that she died. <laughs> um, which is really true. And so the fact that, like, Gwen Stacy made it to two movies was <laughs> kind of 
Now, for those who are not familiar with the Spider-Man comic mythos, uh, Gwen Stacy, is the mo- Spider-Man's usual paramour in television shows and in other movies is Mary Jane, right? Who is, I believe, like his re- not related to him by blood, but somehow associated with his family in some way. Uh, but she is the redhead, and Gwen Stacy is the blonde, which is how you can tell she's different. Uh, and she also gets totally killed fairly early on in the 1960s Spider-Man comic books, right? Uh, and it's the 70s. 70s, so it's the early – okay, gotcha. So it's a little bit farther in. It's like a Betty and Veronica situation if Betty were, like, taken out by a sniper, right? And it was like <laughs> – Archie was like, no! With great power comes yet greater responsibility. Um <laughs> So yeah, so so does she take? Is it like is it a, a, a like a non sequitur? Or like is it look like the coast is clear and everything's fixed and Spider Man has saved the day? And then like there's just like a time machine esque horse and carriage that runs over Gwen Stacy in the middle of the street? Or no, is that, it that would have <laughs> been very unforeseeable? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's the the only real thing that changes from the sort of. Um, uh, from the comic books, which is like you know pretty iconic at this point, is the location in the mm-hmm. comics. Um, it's a bridge. I you know I always thought it was the Brooklyn Bridge, but I actually think it's just a bridge. Um, <laughs> How it's the thrilling! Ninth Street Bridge. Oh, oh I, I don't know. You. I don't know for sure. I'm just making that up. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. that's the bridge that's in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, so it, actually, the there's a scene in that the how um, where. Sh- Mary Jane gets tossed off yeah, and then caught, you know, Spider-Man jumps after her mm-hmm. and that's actually from like an alternate timeline. They call it like the what if storyline oh, where like yeah. Spider-Man gets to do everything with Gwen Stacy differently <laughs> and everything ends up amazing and she doesn't die. Yeah, yeah. I read I read a what if once. The what if one that I read was what if the Silver Surfer got the Infinity Gauntlet, which Ooh. was which I felt like didn't enrich my understanding of anything meaningful in the world ever. But uh, yeah. but the what ifs are pretty great. I, I recommend. So so the idea is that in the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movie, they take Gwen Stacy's death. Uh, like iconic thrown off a bridge death scene, they transpose it to Mary Jane, and they also prevent it from happening. Right. So, okay. So they, which is like a pretty like reasonable relationship with a fairly at this point well known and borderline cliche. Well, pretty cliche at this point, but uh, like comic book iconic moment, right? right? Like you're incorporating things that are famous about Spider-Man, so you chuck a chick off a bridge uh, because what are they good for, right, right. in this world, which is uh, really, yeah. really disappointing. <laughs> it's a, uh, a phenomenon, I believe, that's called bridging. Uh, yes, okay, which is different from fridging. Right? <laughs> Only slightly. Only slightly. So so there's bridging. So it is referred to as bridging when you just, like, chuck a woman off a bridge in a comic book. I mean, it is now. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And then fridging is when you, like, very, very theatrically and morbidly desecrate her body in order to, like, create marginal character development, right, for the right, hero. Right, exactly. Which is I mean, the, bridging yeah. is just a form of fridging. Okay, okay. Um, it's just much more specific. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Now, this happens at the end of the movie, though, yes. right? Okay. So what is the development? Does the development serve a purpose? Like the character development that comes out of it, or sure, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's going to have a big effect on the third movie, right? Um, yeah, the immediate repercussions of her death in this movie was Peter Parker standing over a grave while seasons changed around him. <laughs> true fact. Was it like time lapse or was it like slow fades? It was slow fades. Oh, okay. I okay. mean, and the implication was that you know he hung up the Spider Man. Uh, hood, outfit, cowl for a year. Singlet, unitard. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, singlet. <laughs> <laughs> for a Can year. We just call it the Spider-Man. 
Because that's sort of the noise that happens when you get yourself into spandex. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Is that is that is that used in the movie? Are we going to see a best sound editing Oscar nomination for spandex sounds? You know, I wish. <laughs> yeah, uh, the... that would have been unforeseeable. Right, right, right. Okay, so so the movie like culminates. Right, the movie culminates in a in a pretty offensive and pretty cliche and kind of stupid uh, murder of a main character from the previous movie. Yeah, okay. and so here, um, Pete, let me. You haven't seen the movie, so no, let me I, ask you some questions. Yeah. Sure. If you knew that the movie culminated mm-hmm. in the Green Goblin mm-hmm. murdering Gwen Stacy, or you know, throwing her off of something yeah. so that Spider Man had to try to save her unsuccessfully, would you think? That given that the Green Goblin is uh, also Harry Osborn, best friend of Peter Parker, that a lot of the movie would really focus on their friendship and the development of Green Goblin as a villain? Yeah, I would imagine that that's kind of like when he crosses the Rubicon and it's like the yeah. end of their friendship and the point of no return. <laughs> so you I guess would, in one way. You would be wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in one way, that is in fact unforeseeable. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So wait, so 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 let me get this straight. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You're making how long is this movie? Like two and a half hours or something oh, like yeah. that? Okay, yeah. so this is a two and a half hour movie about a guy in a, in a unitard in a singlet flipping around the city, you know, sticking his uh his his uh bodily fluids to things or whatever. Yep. And then it ends with his girlfriend being murdered by his best friend. Uh, but the preceding two hours... What are the preceding two hours about then if they aren't about uh, the things that lead up to the best friend murdering his girlfriend? Sure. I mean, uh, ben, do you want to take this? Yeah, I think it's generally <laughs> divided into two sections. Okay. There's uh, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield uh, just being adorable together. Uh, oh, so uh, adorable. God. Christ. <laughs> They're just – I mean they were well-written and all of those scenes were well-acted. Oh, uh, wow. And that is perhaps the last good thing I will say about this movie <laughs> on yeah, this podcast. I mean, and then I, the I'm rest of it is dedicated to an Osborne – an Oscorp AI – uh, explaining the rest of the movie to us uh, <laughs> while characters are in rooms and or Peter Parker fighting Electro or Spider-Man fighting Electro. Yeah, so, so we no. do get a supervillain um, origin story. It's just not Green Goblins. Yeah. Oh. It's Electros. Right, right, right. Just very much the wrong one. We also get Rhinos for really no clear reason. Yeah. So wait, Rhino is also in this movie? Yes. Yeah, okay. he's at the very beginning and the very end. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's Chekhov's Rhino right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you put Rhino in the beginning of a movie, by yeah, the end of the movie, he got to hit something with his face. Uh, there were actually so many things from the trailer that were not in the movie <laughs> that – when, because in the movie, in the trailer, you see like Peter Parker fighting Rhino in his Rhino costume. Okay. And 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 the one of the opening action sequences is is Spider Man fighting Rhino, and we did not see the Rhino outfit. And I thought that they had just cut that part out uh, because very little else that was in the trailer was actually in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. See, like like why my number one all time scene in a trailer that's not in a movie that disappointed me is from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, which is when Robin Hood, they, they're doing the arrow gag, and somebody shoots an arrow at a bullseye that's hanging on a tree, and then Robin Hood shoots an arrow at, at the bullseye, and he misses high, and he hits the tree, but the tree splits in half, and splits the bullseye and the arrow in half, which I thought was like a great visual gag, but wasn't in like the theatrical release of the movie. Um, yeah. So I guess the original Spider-Man also had a scene in the trailer that wasn't in the movie, which was when he spun a web between the World Trade Center towers to catch a helicopter. Right. right? 
Right. Uh, but uh, I think there's a there was a good reason why they took that out. Yeah, character development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except the character was Osama bin Laden and the people who were never mind um, who are killed for no reason uh, no that's uh, I, I don't want to make that kind of comparison it's inappropriate okay 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 so 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 all right so for everybody who's keeping up with what's going on is that you guys saw a movie where Jamie Foxx plays a guy who gets electricity powers and then becomes irrelevant uh, uh, I mean he's he is I would say he is the the villain of the movie. Okay. Um, but he, he is not, he's not the villain at the climax of the movie. Okay. Like he is important, but then he, he gets dispatched by Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy together working Ooh. as a team. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> to the extent that Gwen Stacy's job in that is to flip a switch when oh, Peter yep. Parker tells her to flip a switch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also, like, come up with some fake science so that Electro can't shoot out his web slingers. Okay. Um, is Gwen Stacy a scientist? Yes. Yes. Oh, is that that's not canon, is it? Uh, uh, Maybe. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I love the simultaneous. Uh, I feel like that was the sound that must have happened at nine o'clock in the morning a couple of times when this movie was getting started. <laughs> it was more than once, but yes. All right, fair yeah. enough. Well, I want to stop with the leading questions a little bit because I feel like you guys. You guys have gone into the cave, right? And you've emerged, right? And so, like, yeah. I feel like I won't even know. M- much like if I were talking to somebody who would say, like, gone to Vietnam, I don't even know the questions to ask to really get your experience across to the people. So, like, why don't you guys just sort of follow your hearts a little bit and talk a little bit about this movie uh, for everybody? And I will, I will try to listen without interrupting too much. So there are a couple of things that I want to go through chronologically if I can hijack the conversation for a moment. And the first of which (laughs) is that the movie, if I recall, and I may be getting the sequence of events slightly out of order, but the movie opens with uh, Peter Parker's dad abandoning his child, getting into a private jet, and then uploading a file to a server uh, while fighting for his life before the plane uh, presumably crashes into the ocean. Yeah, Uh, it's like – the scene from the Dark Knight, um, the Dark Knight Rises, mm. uh, we're, we're, except yeah. without Bane and with <laughs> Peter Parker's dad. <laughs> right. And for one, Peter Parker, Peter Parker's dad, and I'm blanking on his name. Do you remember his Richard. name, Hannah? Richard. Richard Parker was uh, unreasonably <sighs> good at fighting a trained assassin. Uh, but the thing that really kills me about this scene is that we learn about two-thirds of the way through the movie, that this incredibly important file that he was uploading was a vlog. (laughs) (laughs) It was a vlog to his son explaining why he abandoned him and ran away. And you know what? Taken objectively, we have no reason to believe his side of the story, or at least very little reason to believe his side of the story. Yeah, almost none. (laughs) We we hear from Aunt May that Aunt May's understanding of this is that Richard Parker stole a bunch of stuff from Oscorp and then ran away for the money to, like, presumably sell it to somebody else. Yeah. And there's not a lot of evidence on the other side of that supporting Richard Parker's side of the story, other than I think we can fairly uh, infer that he actually did – Richard Parker actually did put his own DNA into the mutant spiders, which is why Peter Parker is Spider-Man and the Green Goblin is the Green Goblin. Which, like, I don't want to, like – be a jerk about men, but like, isn't putting your DNA in anything you can sort of your deal? 
I mean, it's also the one of the things that's in Ang Lee's Hulk, I think, right? Which is like Nick Nolte injects himself with something, and then he in- communicates to his son through sexy times. Or maybe he injects the kid and then – but yeah, no, that's no, true. It's like it, it is not appreciably different to inject your DNA into a baby through means other than the baby's – other than meiosis, right? Like and, and the creation of a blastocyst and whatnot. Well, and the other thing is is that the – like basically what they say is that the reason he used his own DNA is so that they couldn't use it without his bloodline – but then he leaves his biological son behind. Yeah, in, in Queens. Just, yeah, you know. so, oh, you mean you can't do it without that defenseless small child that you left behind? Cool, good plan. <laughs> and wait, wait, and so this thing, this DNA, just so that I understand, it makes people Spider-Man. Uh, the DNA, I mean, it, none of this is explained, and I think it's fine that they didn't really explain it, okay, because okay, they did okay. such a poor job with the science and the rest of the film that okay. I can't imagine how this would have gone. Gotcha. Uh, but that Richard Parker mixed his DNA with the spider's DNA to create some sort of hybrid human spider DNA thing. Uh, and then that radioactive spider, I don't know when it became radioactive. It became radioactive at some point. Bit. <laughs> Peter Parker giving him Spider-Man powers. Oh, I see. So the so it's sort of like a catalyst situation where a radioactive spider has to bite someone who's related to Richard Parker by blood. Right. Or so Richard he could Parker have bitten himself. a bunch of people, but yes. only Peter Parker would have turned into Spider-Man. Right. Or like any of his cousins. Yeah. Or like, or like other people he was related to. Mm-hmm. Like I heard that like what Vanessa Williams used that service where she read about her ancestry. Like there are some ads at the bottom of websites that tell me that that happened, along with one cool tip about how to uh, um, whiten your teeth Loot. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, presumably, okay. Peter Parker could have like a cousin somewhere, like a cousin on his father's side. Yes, yes, yes. Indeed. Right. Cool. Okay. 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 So, so, so that's one of the. So, one of the objections is that there's this whole thing that happens, and it sort of is an unnecessary additional layer of. It's like Occam's spider razor would like cut right through this and be like, how about Peter Parker's just an orphan and the radioactive spider is just in a lab and bites him as opposed yeah, no. to like his – the spider is left by his father and, and all that other nonsense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. This whole story didn't serve a purpose except to explain why his parents disappeared. OK, OK. So, so tell me more. Tell me more about your journey through this film. I mean Ben just served up one, one little vignette. Hannah, do you have a vignette off the top of your head of a memory, something that really meant something to you during your amazing Spider-Man 2 experience? Sure. So um, one thing is is that we decided to go see the movie based purely on time. Like we really wanted to go to this nine a.m. movie. <laughs> um, so when we showed up, Ben, I don't, I know you were there before I showed up, but like uh, I told them at the time, and they were like, "Cool, like eighteen dollars," <laughs> which, yeah. which is how I learned we were seeing the three D IMAX. <laughs> so wow. I will say. That the movie, like the like web swinging s- scenes, looked incredible. Uh, um, there were a bunch of the scenes that were visually super great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the first time you see him swinging through the city, like, <clears throat> is it Hans Zimmer that did the score, Ben? Uh, I don't think so. There didn't was. seem to be enough bass, except for the bass that was dropped. <laughs> <laughs> So I have more to say about the um, some of the uh, music later, but the first time you see him swinging, the score is so hokey, I almost laughed out loud. <laughs> it is not great. Uh, uh, 
And so that was like the first sort of moment where I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, this is disappointing. So wait, is it hokey in sort of like a wah, wah kind of way or in a like ba 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 Yes, that's okay. exactly what it is. Right. <laughs> um, it feels very much oh, like – Oh, no. Sorry, because yeah. to correct, uh, music by Johnny Marr, Pharrell Williams, and in fact, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the the long-awaited Pharrell-Hans Zimmer crossover collaboration project. Um, with, I feel like we're jumping the gun to get to the Pharrell Williams part, oh, but okay. uh, I actually was super fond of what he did to the score. Um, I thought they did a really good job. They ended up sort of mixing. Ben, would you say that they sort of mixed almost like diegetic music and non-diegetic? Because there was like this idea where like this like chanting was almost going inside on inside Electro's head, and then they turned that chanting into the score. Yes. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, it was, like, shitty at first. Excuse me. Uh, and then it, like, got cool. It was like, oh, to, oh, cool. We're going to have to give this a, a hot pepper. Yeah, give it a Eudora chili pepper. That reference gets older and older with every passing day. <laughs> I feel like there's no one left alive who remembers that joke who hasn't gotten it from the Overthinking It podcast. It's so sad. Um, okay, okay. So there's very hokey music. and But, you, okay, so wait a minute. So when you're saying you tried not to laugh, were there other people in the movie theater that you would have disturbed? I mean, a few. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, there was a guy, like, right behind me. Wow. Yeah, there were, I don't know, maybe eight or ten other people in it. Oh, wow. It was more than when I saw um, uh, uh, Captain America. When did you see Captain America? I In, in Captain America's defense, I did see it at noon as opposed to 9.30. Okay. <laughs> see, I saw Captain America at 9.30 because Ben and I saw each other as I was leaving and he was <laughs> Yeah, um, and there were a lot of people there. Like, oh, I mean, there were at least like seventy people in that theater. Wow. Yeah. yeah. When I went, it was me, a security guard from a job I used to work, and like three other people. Oh wow! See, that's when I saw the RoboCop premiere. It was like five people, but that was also because it was a driving blizzard. Um, oh, yeah. So that might have been, but that was at night. That was at also at the Capitol Theater in Arlington. Did you guys go to the Big Lowe's Boston Common? Is that where we you did. went? Did yeah. Cool. Not to give anything away, of course, but part of this is that we we all we all live in the intellectual capital of the United States, uh, which is why we have the world's foremost expert on Fast and the Furious and the world's foremost expert on uh, Arrested Development all here, which is that they're very very uh, lush and generous tax incentives for uh, intellectual uh, juggernauts such as Hannah and Ben to move to Boston to share their yes. their wisdom with people. Um, Okay, okay, okay. So I'm get so so I get the idea that that the movie has certain mo- notes to it that are that are that are hits. Like it's not all misses. It's not just like incompetent all the way through. There are parts of it that are nice and sweet and good. There are parts of it that are impressive. But I, the sense that I got talking to Ben was that there were also parts of it that were like deeply confounding or disappointing. Oh, oh, oh my God, Ben! Should we just start talking about uh, Electro and like how he started? Like, can why we? He was so mad. Can we go back to? Rhino for a second. (laughs) So after the scene with Richard Parker, we get a a battle between uh, Spider-Man and the first battle between Spider-Man and Rhino. Uh, And I I got so angry during this, just so angry. Um, So the, the, we come in and there's a news reporter saying that somebody has uh, hijacked a, uh, a truck filled with plutonium. Uh, an Oscorp truck full of plutonium, uh, which brought up an immediate problem on my part in that uh, typically when you're transporting nuclear waste through an area, you do not tell people that you are transporting nuclear waste. The fact that it contains plutonium is a secret uh, because you don't – you just don't advertise those things. Like nuclear waste gets transported across the United States all the time and you just don't advertise. So there's no what? way that anyone <laughs> should have known that there was plutonium in this truck. Uh, 
Also, there was no reason for it to be plutonium. None whatsoever. Uh, the fact that it was radioactive played no part in anybody's storyline. Even though the spider is radioactive? Yes. So it had nothing to do with the radioactive spider? None. Okay. It had nothing to do with the rhino. It had nothing to do with what the rhino would later become. It just yeah, needed it to be something. Distracting. I kept thinking that the rhino was going to get hit with it and hence become the rhino, but that's just really not nope. how it went. <laughs> nope. It just had to be something dangerous in the back of a truck. So uh, Spider-Man's swinging through Manhattan, finally catches up with this truck, uh, gets in the back, and mysterious Oscorp voiceover, there's this disembodied head that we see occasionally that explains things to us throughout the movie. Uh, I don't think we saw the disembodied head in this scene, but, like, the door opened and it's like, please be careful with the plutonium. It's highly explosive. It's not. It's not highly explosive. Unless it's in, like, a critical mass of plutonium, it is not highly explosive. It's also not a green liquid, uh, which is how it was portrayed in this film. Um, I feel like this disembodied voice was like, the Sony executives being like, okay, what if we had Jarvis, but we didn't want him to be quite so exciting? <laughs> With jo- Jarvis from? From Iron the Man. Iron Man movie. From Iron oh, Okay, okay, gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. <clears throat> now, Paul Bettany's disembodied voice in Tony Stark's head. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, let me ask a quick aside. Who's your guy's favorite uh, like artificial intelligence hero assistant? Oh, boy. Ziggy. Ziggy? From Quantum Leap? Yeah. Even though we never hear we never hear Ziggy's voice, we just hear the little beeps and squeaks, right? Yes. Oh, man. And the fact that he always gives uh, uh, odds of things happening to uh, great specificity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I personally love Selma from Time Tracks, if you ever remember that one. She lived in a credit card in the guy's pocket. He was a time cop kind of situation where he went to the past to catch criminals from the future, which meant that they could use future timeline. They could use future sort of plot things without future sort of special effects. It was very economically produced. Um, there were zip lines occasionally. But uh, but yeah, but he had an English-made hologram who lived in a credit card in his pocket um, and would help him with stuff. Um, what was the name of the doctor from um, uh, Star Trek? Um Oh, uh, the emergency medical hologram? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. He yeah, picked a name for himself in the later seasons of Voyager, yeah. and that name eludes me. Yeah. Um, um, thank you. I want to uh, say it was like Dr. Zimmer, but I think that also may be the person on which the emergency medical hologram was based. Gotcha. So, so at any rate, there's a, dis- there's a f- giant floating head that just gives you plot stuff and explains to you exposition. <laughs> uh, I mean, most of the time it's just a disembodied voice. Disembodied voice, uh, okay, okay. But we see that there's a head attached to it in a okay. couple of scenes in the elevator. Gotcha. The elevator is in the Oscorp Tower work by you getting in and announcing what floor you want to go to because oh. that's a much better interface than, you know, buttons. Right. Yeah, no, they use Connect technology in the Oscorp elevator. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's, it's uh, second floor, Dance Central, right? Um, so, so you wanted to talk about Electro, Hannah. Uh, presumably we're done talking. I don't want to talk about Electro. <laughs> you have but, a duty. Yeah. Kant would say that the fact that you don't want to talk about Electro is the surest sign that, <laughs> that talking about the Electro is a good thing that should be a universal law. Right, like, um, so yeah. So why why don't you why don't you fight the uh, fight the feelings to the contrary and and voice voice your your voice the the voice in your heart about uh, uh, Jamie Foxx's sparky self. Great. So his name is is what Max Max Dillon. Is that right? Ben? <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, I I should say I'm terrible with names and 
am not an expert in the Spider-Man. You know uh, what? Let's just say it's Max Dillon. Okay. <laughs> Whatever name they come up with, there's no way it was better than that. Um, so he is a, an electrical engineer at Oscorp. And his whole deal is that, first of all, he lo- loves Spider-Man because Spider-Man one time rescued him from getting hit by a car and then told him they were friends and said, I need you. You're my eyes and ears. To which Max Dillon assumed, like, great, Spider-Man is my best friend. He needs me. We are the bosom buddies. Um, and then, so he's, he loves Spider-Man, but he's super mad because everyone's always really mean to him. Because he's always carrying around blueprints. And people are always knocking them out of his hands and then yelling at him about it. <laughs> Does his job involve carrying blueprints, or is it just a life uh, choice? I don't. It could be both. You know? <laughs> um, and so he had um, come up with um, a new new specifications for the electrical grid of New York City. Mm-hmm. Submitted them to Oscorp, and then they quote unquote stole them from him. Okay. So he is an Oscorp employee. He did his job for them, which is to be an electrical engineer, and then they stole that work. Right. And not only does he believe they stole it from him, but upper, like, executives of Oscorp also believe that they stole it from him, which is, like, really unlike any employment contract I've ever uh, (laughs) been a part of. Right, 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 right. So okay, so he's so he's like, oh man, my intellectual property. Ah, uh, oh no, my blueprints. No, my coffee cup. Ah, and he's Weirdly, just like, I mean, he seems to recognize that they stole it from him, but that's not really a motivating factor of his at right. any point in time. Oh, it's no. just useful for him later in the uh, later in the movie. Oh, okay, okay. It's so like he's... that's not why he becomes evil. Okay. No. Okay, uh, sorry. So why does he become evil? That's oh, a good question. Hold on. We're going we're, we're to get to that. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So he um, ends up... Why did they get the day off again? Oh, because oh, uh, Norman right. Osborn died. Yeah. So Norman Osborn dies. Chris Cooper, um, grossly underused. <laughs> that is an understatement. Yeah. Um, dies, and they um, give everyone at Oscorp the day off. And I... Pete, I mean everyone. Even people charged with the safety of, like, super dangerous equipment are just like, see you later! Beach day! (laughs) It does exactly what happened. And BJ Novak is like, except for you, Max Dillon, you gotta stay. Uh, You gotta stay and fix some sparking cables that are just, you know, exposed there for some reason. Yeah, and he he at one point like gets on the walkie-talkie with like some of the other like um uh people who work there and are actually supposed to be in charge of making sure this doesn't go wrong and he's like guys, this it's like there's a bunch of problems down here and they're like not my problem, got to go. <laughs> Uh, can we just back up for one second? So before he goes to fix this, he walks into the room where these cables are, and inside these rooms are large tanks filled with electric eels, at which point the disembodied uh, Oscorp AI once again tells us that these are electric eels, and they create bioelectricity, because nobody in the theater is presumably familiar with eels in a giant tank that are, you know, kind of blue and sparking electricity. Right, right, right. No idea what those things could be. <laughs> Uh, oh boy carry on <laughs> so this sounds exhausting <laughs> this movie yeah, but anyway continue, you know continue. 
Uh, and so, I mean, I don't know. He falls in the tank and they bite him a bunch and then he becomes Electra. Right. <laughs> right. But when he gets shocked, it, so Max Dillon, the, he has a gap in between his two front teeth, presumably because it makes him look nerdy and or like David Letterman. Uh, when he gets zapped by the eels, that gap in his teeth is fixed. Okay. Is it like a homeopathic thing? Like Eastern medicine? Um, I I don't know. They never (laughs) even try to explain. Like, it's very clear. There's a shot on his face where we see the gap diminishing. Mm -hmm. There's no mechanism. There's no explanation. It's just like, this is something that the eels have the power to do. Okay. (laughs) We haven't, like, confirmed that electric eels have this ability, right? Like, we haven't, like, tested this for peer review or to make sure... I no. so I like the idea of like you know in improv we we always say like if this is true what else is true yes 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 like what what if in the rest of this like Spider Man universe like eels are sort of be like the new Botox right <laughs> or so if they like, can if they only can cure... the ri- oh, yeah. sorry you go Hannah oh I was gonna say only the richest ladies can afford to dump themselves in tanks full of electric eels <laughs> until all of their imperfections go away. Right? <laughs> Right, or or if they can cure a gap in teeth, can they like cure cleft palates? Is this like should we be deploying electric eels across the uh, the third world to to help young children? Yeah, it should yeah. be an ad on the side of a bus, I think, with like a giant <laughs> eel on it, and like you could save a smile, get bitten by a fish. <laughs> now, now the thing. So, so the thing that strikes me about a lot of what you guys are talking about is that a lot of these scenes seem very, very derivative of scenes in other movies. Like very self-consciously derivative of scenes in other movies. I mean, the the stuff falling out of a truck so as to get in the way of other stuff. For me, the scene that recalls is from the uh, un- criminally underrated Charlie Sheen movie, The Chase. Uh, where they, which is like about media hysteria in the 90s. And there's a, there's a scene where they're driving behind a truck and a bunch of like dead bodies that have been donated as medical cadavers like fall out of this ambulance. And it's a point about like, wow, look how pointless this is and look how like incredibly gross and graphic this is. And don't you want to watch it because we're indicting you as the audience for like wanting to see exciting and gross and provocative things for no reason. But that was already reflecting the decadent overuse of highway debris in film. Right, like in both real world and in, in movies. So in this case, the idea of somebody like falling into a tank of some kind and becoming evil. Um, now, I don't know whether this is canon for Electro's character, but I also have never really like been listing supervillains that I cared about and like happened upon Electro as a member of this group. Right, like he seems like kind of a budget second or third rate comic book villain i would even say like fourth rate comic book villain right and Um, i think that's probably why they chose him because i think at some point they knew that really the most important thing that was going to happen was going to be the green goblin but then at some point they forgot about that and they spent most of the movie dealing with electro right 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 so it sounds like there were like editing issues and they were like putting different versions of the movie together up to the last minute or whatever Pete, there's a whole scene where Electro, or at this point, Max Dillon and Gwen Stacy ride the elevator together, and he's just nice to her. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm sure that will come into play later when he'll see her and be like, oh, the girl that was nice to me. Because the whole deal is, you know, like I said earlier, everybody's always yelling at him just for existing. And that just never happens. There's just a a meaningless scene where she's nice to him. (laughs) Well, it's character development for Gwen Stacy that shows that her purpose in life is to make men happy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and make them feel good about themselves. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, uh, good lord. So much of this film feels like it was in response to a note. 
like uh, that <laughs> it's it's like at some point the notes just replace the movie like there should be a big list of studio execs who get story credit i feel yeah. uh, and i'm oh, sure we'll touch right. on some of these later but one i want to mention right now is that there's a, a whole sequence that sets up and then allows the Green Goblin to team, team up with Electro. I think for the sole purpose that a studio exec looked at the script and was like, I feel like the Green Goblin should team up with Electro. Because yeah. there's no reason they have to do it in the film. They don't even fight uh, like together at the same time. Except for, I think, one scene that I was in the bathroom for. So, so what do they team up to do? They break out of a prison. I mean, oh. but he's not even the Green Goblin at that point. He's just grumpy harry osborne so like the yeah. son of the former ceo of a major like chemical and defense and technology corporation is in jail for some reason and he meets jamie fox who has perfect teeth and they just decide to escape um rather uh, than like lawyer up and get out of jail the conventional way no only uh only electro is in jail um, oh. but he's in like special supervillain jail um <laughs> and so uh Harry Osborn has like just been dethroned, um, but uses like his last vestiges of power to trick them into letting him into special supervillain jail. If by trick um, them you mean he manages to right. tase, so uh, <laughs> okay, Harry Osborn is set up as a guy who spent like the last however many years in France uh, gallivanting with uh, uh, supermodels. Uh, he goes to this, essentially, Arkham in the Marvel Universe, Arkham Asylum in the Marvel Universe, talks to two security guards, and then then tases these two guards and, like, takes them out, again, with way more skill than we have any reason to believe this man possesses in an effort to break his way into uh, this institution just to break this guy out. Okay, so to, to be fair, it's like almost like I feel like um, they did the same thing in Iron Man three, where like you're like, when did uh, when did Tony Stark become a commando? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's whenever you look up, and I, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners do this frequently, but whenever you look up a uh, a comic book character on one of the big like Marvel databases or DC databases, there's a there's a re- there's a wonderful little phrase. That's next to a lot of the characters, uh, where it's like, um, in particular, I, I think about it. The most recent one I was looking up that this applied to was to like Doctor Strange, right? Who I was looking up because I wanted to read about how overpowered he was at certain points in his storyline and how they would manage to like basically how the helicarriers in uh, in Captain America two would manage to actually kill Doctor Strange, which is suggested by the villains they are designed to do, uh, despite the fact that it seems entirely implausible that that would happen. Uh, um, more ridiculous in that, if we can just talk about this for just one second, is that among the people that um, are listed uh, um, as going to be killed by the helicarrier are the Hulk. The Hulk, it's established, has tried to put a gun in his own mouth, pull the trigger, <laughs> which was then the bullet of which was then spit out by the Hulk. I have yeah. no idea how they think a helicarrier is going to take right, this right, guy right. out. Exactly. But so in any way, it says like, you know, Doctor Strange has like the strength and agility of, what is it, a, like a man who engages in regular exercise, right? Like, and this is like a, a phrase that is in a lot of database entries for superheroes yep. whose powers are not physical. And it's like, well, he engages in regular exercise. Right. Regular, I mean, it's yeah. like the Sarah Connor principle, right? It's like you work out in prison enough and like you can do some shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although in this case, in, you know, in, in, that, in some cases, it's like, okay, this guy is, you know, 45 years old and a doctor 
and he happens to have magical powers, but then he also <laughs> jump kicks people occasionally just because yeah. it looks good. And it's like, you know, we're just going to write off the jump kick. We're just going to sort of say, like, you know what? It's fine. He can jump kick them. Um Okay, okay, so so we're following this movie along, and we got the whole, the rhino guy shows up for no reason, and the plutonium shows up for no reason, and then Jamie Foxx is, instead of having a meet-cute, which is what it sounds like he's about to have, by having his blueprints knocked out of his hand all the time, and then, like, you know, have a romance with, like, Amy Adams or something, he instead ends up uh, being bitten by a fish and turned into kind of the shock joker. Right, and uh, and then he, then Harry Osborn, the son of the Green Goblin or whatever, or the Green Goblin, what have you, uh, decides that he needs this guy's power to conduct some sort of nefarious plan, and they team up and they go into the the compound. I mean, at this point, you probably take it a couple bathroom breaks. Uh, uh, I mean. What else is there, right? What what else? Because I, I feel like there's still this aura hanging around this movie that there's something just extraordinary about uh, how you guys felt about it. I don't know, like what what am I missing? What's 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 left? I mean, there there has to be a lot, right? Like, well, that's the thing. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot that's still missing. Um, we haven't like even. Whole... Sorry, we skipped yeah. over the first battle uh, and yeah. why Electro's Electro at this um, point still. So. Spider-Man has his first battle with Electro right after Electro uh, gets his powers. Electro then, uh, he can see, I don't know, uh, electricity underneath the streets of New York. And he's like, oh, I'll follow this. And it takes him to Times Square um, where there's a a Spider-Man eventually uh, comes up, uh, uh, confronts Electro. And Electro recognizes Spider-Man and says, hey, don't you remember me? And Spider-Man's like, uh, no, no, I don't remember you, giant glue, blue glowing guy who I've never seen. Ooh, that was tough for me to say. <laughs> giant blue glowing guy. Uh, eventually, Max Electro uh, uh, explains to Spider-Man you know, where they met. And Spider-Man goes, oh, okay, I get it. You're a normal guy. You just can't control your powers. Uh, Spider-Man then injures Electro, at which point Electro now has uh, really nuanced control over his powers. <laughs> okay. Uh, including the ability to make himself levitate, which mm-hmm. I don't recall him having before that moment. So yeah, he learns no, no, how to no. fly after being punched. Yes. Pretty so. much. All right, okay. Um, and so, uh, and, like, people still just, like, really hate Electro. Like, they hated Max Dillon, and they hate Electro even more. Um, And that was one of my big problems with the movie, is that, like, I've always felt like the Spider-Man movies have a sort of, like, optimistic view of humanity. Um, You know, like, uh, that, like, the people of New York will come together and help each other out. But, like, essentially, the whole origin story of Electro is that people are terrible. They're horrible to him. Um... And it it's just kind of a bummer. You're just like, oh, man, this feels, I don't know. It, it just feels discordant. Mm. Yeah, but at the same time, while all of this was going on, giant electricity battle in Times Square, nobody was scared enough to, like, vacate the area. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is a recurring theme in this in this movie. Like, people are like, oh, oh, destruction? Let's stand against these little barriers and watch. Even if I have small children with me. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have small children. All right. So so the main conflict of this movie then is between the kind of megalomaniacal, uh, like, pooped-upon Electro character and his hero, his idol, who f- 
fails to remember him because it's like there's a lot that's projected on him, right? Like right. the lecturer has projected all of his insecurities and this sort of like his desire for acceptance and validation. He's projected all this onto Spider-Man as that even though Spider-Man is a stranger. Right. Um, okay. So here's the thing. Then he, he he either does remember him or says the same thing to everybody he meets on the street, um, yeah, which is sort of like that. my guess. <laughs> uh, so he convinces him that he's remembered him, but then a cop accidentally shoots him. Um, <laughs> and this is the point at which, like the the like whispered chanting inside Electro's head grows to like a fever pitch. Um, like of just people like chanting like what is it like they they li- they lied to you they yeah. hated you something like that or like um and eventually like turns into a song sort of or a you know sort of part of the score so he has his own little theme um which again like I don't know besides the like Andrew Garfield Emma Stone scenes like probably the other good part of the movie hmm. I'm gonna say that and so oh and I yeah. yeah I was just saying that's like the Pharrell contribution you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of the opposite of happy. <laughs> the anti-happy. So it doesn't go like, oh, my mom, my mom, I'm happy if you feel like room without room, and all that other stuff. No, it's like, yeah. there, drop the bass. Yeah, it's like, feel bumming if you have a city that hates you for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So then so then it sounds like it's a movie about like uh, alienation and acceptance. Yeah, sort of. And then at so at, then at some point along the way, um Harry Osborne comes back. Um and uh you have no really reason to know this except for essentially a um best friend montage that <laughs> even in the movie only lasts an afternoon. <laughs> where they go from like, "Oh, I haven't seen you since you were 11. I'm kind of mad at you and you didn't talk to me." to like, "Oh, that's right. We're still best friends." Right. And right? then that's they all you li- get. Then they literally skip rocks across a body of water. <laughs> but Spider-Man skips them too far. What? Yep. Wait, what? <laughs> that was like a thing. Like Peter Parker skips a stone and it goes too far. And he's like, it's on the wrist. It's just like a... Is he like, yeah. is it too far because he's giving away that he's a superhero or because it yes. like... Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's the implication. It doesn't go anywhere. Like, yeah. he doesn't... Uh, yeah, nothing nothing happens from that. It's yeah, just a it's, little moment where you're like, will he? It's potentially one of the things that helps Harry Osborn realize that uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But there's no connection, no direct connection made to that. Okay. Well, and there's, yeah, there, nothing ever really comes of the fact that he knows Spider, uh, Spider-Man's secret identity. Oh. Like, that's actually sort of the whole point um, not, not the whole point, but uh, the way that Gwen dies in the comic books is that the Green Goblin finds out Peter Parker's identity as Spider-Man and is like, cool, I know who your girlfriend is. I'm going to do this. In um, <laughs> this, Gwen Stacy is just there. Right. Um, She's there already so, because she yeah. had to flip the switch when Peter Parker told her to flip the switch. Right. It's an important role for a nuclear <laughs> scientist to have then. <laughs> Yeah, you need to have all sorts of shielding. You need to know the procedures and stuff. You have to have the little brass keys that you turn at exactly the right time. Yes. In this case, a giant red button, if I recall. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then there's like a bunch of battles. Some of the battles look great, and some of them look busted. <laughs> How busted? How busted is busted? Uh, I don't know, Ben. How busted? I'm trying to think of like 
It just, I mean, to be fair, we did see it like on an IMAX screen, but oh god, some of it just really showed its like edges. Uh, yeah. So one thing that I remembered, I was thinking back on the movie, and I don't know why this is, but like I don't, I didn't remember any of it being particularly in 3D. No. So it was a 3D movie that had not much 3D in it. I don't. I mean, it could be that there was a lot of 3D and it was just like very seamless. But like when I think back to The Hobbit, I remember there being like beautiful shots of like caves where the all the walls like slowly trailed back and like there was a lot of depth to it. And either there wasn't a lot of depth to this, or they only did 3D in a few scenes. It just I left thinking that I may as well have seen that movie in 2D. Yeah, like why did we even wear those glasses? <laughs> Uh, to help you see, presumably. Um, okay, okay. So the one thing I don't, still don't get, is that is there anything that the that the electro is trying to accomplish? N- no. Uh, no. No. Okay. No. <laughs> all right. No. He all he wants to do is uh, plunge the city into darkness. Oh, so, oh, oh. so his whole plan is to like suck up all the electricity um, in New York, which right. ends up being how they defeat him because they're like oh what do you do with a battery to make it explode like overpower it right so batteries work fair well yeah that's <laughs> oh gee this is like this is like physically exhausting to hear about this movie <laughs> right i'm yeah, exhausted like, just talking about yeah, it yeah. How long have we been talking about this movie yeah. one of electro's <laughs> things is that like no one ever saw him that he was invisible to like to to the universe, right. so he wanted nobody else to be able to see each other. I don't know, except during that's the, day. the best explanation I can have for him being evil. So he wants to plunge the city into the into darkness at night. Yes, yeah. he doesn't care. Okay, so I, there's no he, plot to block out the sun or anything like that. No, and as we're explaining this, I realized that Spider-Man's job when fighting Electro was to turn off the dark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good job. Good job man. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. All right. Okay. 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 I, think I would rather watch Spider Man turn off the dark than have ever watched The Amazing Spider Man 2. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Well, yeah. it, it probably. Yeah. It, it, uh, I'm like, I'm like overwhelmed. So, okay. So, so then at this point, so there's a bunch of. of uh, so, so what this makes me think of is villains whose only reason to exist is to kill the hero. Right. right, which yeah. is which is something that happens in comic books. I feel like there are a few characters that get away with it, largely because they've claimed that space as their own. Right, like like I believe that Doomsday. That, well, I mean, yeah, like Doomsday, <laughs> but Doomsday isn't even really a character, right? Like Doomsday is a plot device who doesn't even really talk, right? But like, but Doomsday is an example. But like the Joker, for example, like I believe that the Joker would set up a really elaborate scheme that would like that's only purpose is to kill Batman. Yeah. Right, like, and oh, yeah. and that I get it, like, and part of it is meta narrative in the sort of relationship between laughter and seriousness, and the ironies in the two characters. Like, I totally believe, and also when the Joker gets thrown into a vat by Batman and comes out as the Joker, like for that story, I get that the the villain has a vendetta against the hero, and that's the reason why all these things are happening. And maybe he'll have other plans to like give everybody uh, laughing gas, but mostly it's about his relationship with the hero. And I feel like there's a lot of other villains where they they try to do their job, like they try to do the thing that they're trying to do, and then the hero has kind of foiled their plans so many times that they get really angry, and then they do sort of like stupid things to go after the hero. Uh, and then, like, the Shredder is a good example of that, right? Ugh. Where it's 
like yeah. the Shredder goes to extraordinary lengths to kill the Ninja Turtles, but it's not because he's his purpose is to kill the Ninja Turtles. The purpose is that like the point is that he as a character is like sort of emotionally unstable and has been kind of bothered so many times in the Ninja Turtles that he has to do it. And then there are villains who try to like do bad things to everybody, right? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna you know dehydrate the United Nations or whatever. That's another Batman thing. But it's like um you know Magneto is like I have grand geopolitical ambitions, right? Right? Like and it's like. The idea that Magneto – Magneto always has some sort of bigger plan that he's trying to accomplish, and the idea that Magneto would sort of just do something just to mess with Professor X feels like kind of cheap. Um, right. It feels like it would be kind of like – kind of reducing his character. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of villains where – and these I think are the sort of the third rate – a lot of the third and fourth rate villains where I'm never really sure what it is they're trying to accomplish. Um, right. I mean, it's it's they have some sort of thematic relationship with some sort of bad thing that they're trying to do. Um, Bullseye is a good example, right? Mm. Like like Bullseye from Daredevil uh, hits things. He has accuracy, right? And so he gets into a variety of fights where it's like, okay, he has to be accurate, and he also has an adamantium skeleton for some reason. And and yes, I know that in the story of Bullseye, there are reasons for him to do the things that he does, but like his name and his kind of brand and his kind of feel, like don't inform for me whether he hates Daredevil, whether he hates the world, like what he's trying to do. Uh, it's just sort of like a way of drawing, punching, and kicking that's different from other people's kinds of punching and kicking, because he right. uses, like, darts, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and Rhino is, like, the most absurd example of this, where the only reason Rhino exists is to, like, run into things and hit them. Like, yep. even more than the Juggernaut. Like, <laughs> Rhino is just like, I'm just gonna, I am, I... You know, I, I'm giving up. I'm giving up on the dating pool. I'm putting on the big pink rhino costume or whatever, and I'm just gonna run down the street and see what happens, right? Like, and if I happen to run afoul of the law, well, you know what? My dad never loved me, so let's do this, right? Like, and it's just like, boom! There's the rhino. He's doing his thing, um, right. and and it's just like the idea that you would do a whole story about him that isn't just sort of campy or for children is is pretty stupid, um, right? And I feel like I think the sort of similar about. Um, similarly about Green Goblin, because, you know, in general, his real driving force seems to just be hating Spider-Man. Right. Um, and, you know, the only reason he really I, seems to hurt other people is just because hurting those people hurt Spider-Man, and it is a way to draw Spider-Man into fights with him. Yeah, right. And so the the only thing that is compelling then about Green Goblin is that he has an intense personal relationship with Peter Parker mm-hmm. um, because they are best friends or he is his best friend's dad, one of those things. Um, and so in this, you lose out on that because you spend so much time dealing with Electro that you barely have any time to deal with the fact that they are friends. And then he's mad at him for not giving him his blood. Like, he's mad that Spider-Man won't give him his blood to right. save him. We should because- back up just one oh, second. Oh, God. Ugh, <laughs> have to? I uh, just I feel like <laughs> no one else is going to want to watch this. So uh, Chris Cooper is dying of goblinosis or something very similar to that. Uh, uh, which makes him look like a goblin. Okay. And he tells uh, Harry Osborne that it's genetic, so he passed this goblinosis along to you, despite the fact that it seems like it was something that he got because he worked at Oscorp, and that probably wouldn't be genetic unless it somehow affected his germline cells. Anyway, different story. Uh, 
Harry then thinks that the only way he can be saved is with Spider-Man's blood. Spider-Man doesn't think that's true, which is then later confirmed by Richard Parker saying, uh, because these spiders have my DNA in them, they can only, they're just going to hurt everyone uh, who's not related to me. Um, Harry Osborn then breaks back into Oscorp. Uh, injects himself with the spider venom, uh, goes super goblin, uh, and the head of security uh, at Oscorp, um, who I forget even how Harry Osborn convinced him to allow him into the secret project. I think it was at gunpoint. Sure. You sure it wasn't okay. at Taze Point? Uh, <laughs> it very well may have been at Taze Point. Uh, so... Harry Osborn takes this, starts turning into a, a goblin. Uh, the uh, director of security nopes out of there really fast. Yeah. It's like the panic button. And the panic button, uh, which you'd think would lock down this special projects room that has, like, wings and uh, the Doc Ock suit and the Green Goblin thing, just lets him go get the Green Goblin suit. Yep. It just lets him go do that. Like, there's no lock. There's no, like, yeah, there's no lock, there's no door, there's no, like, glass that he has to shatter. He just, like, crawls up to it and gets in. It feels like the panic button that he presses actually causes the whole system to panic, which is, like, what a person would do, and, like, they were scared. It's like, ah, I don't know, open the door! <laughs> it's, that's the problem with using an AI. Yeah, see? It's, it's too emotional. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to panics too easily. <laughs> I like to think that, that, that the whole spiel you just went on, Ben, did not happen on screen. What was just relayed to the audience by, like, a CGI talking head. It may as well have been. <laughs> Well, uh, I think we I think we've we've hit the wall. I think our own CGI talking heads may have to leave this one for another day. Any any final thoughts about Amazing Spider-Man 2 before we punch out for the This has been a great pleasure by the way. I've really enjoyed this. Um I, I didn't like... even here's the thing. I didn't even get to talk about what I really hated about it. What? No talk then. Go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about what you really hated about it. It's, I can no, stall it's... off. It's just going to take too long. No, no, no. Just give us a tease. Give us a little something. Here's my biggest problem with the movie is that somebody clearly said, probably a studio executive, okay, so the second movie has to end. They, like, started at the end. All they started with was the fact that Gwen Stacy had to die. Mm -hmm. And then they, like, sort of seemed to build backwards from there. At the same time, somebody seemed to be building, like, forwards and being like oh we'll do the middle one with a sort of boring super uh, super villain so that the third movie can be about the green goblin and when they got to the middle they were just like yeah sure keep it all (laughs) keep everything and so they sort of ruined everything that might have actually been compelling about uh, any of the sort of parts of the movie and then i also feel like when gwen stacy died originally in the comic books it was like kind of a big deal it was a pretty big moment it was groundbreaking for comics at this point the girlfriend or wife of a superhero dying or any woman dying in a superhero movie is like regressive right Mm -hmm. like why not just not have her die like who cares Yeah, I mean, what if she's alive? What if she gets to be in the story, right? Like, yeah. What about a, a legitimate Spider-Man movie in in London? Like, legitimate? Because there's a whole thing where she gets into a program in Oxford, and he decides to go with her because he's like, ah, there's probably crime in London. Yeah, and um, I would watch and, an American superhero in London. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I mean, I don't know. Nobody's Sony's not making these movies to make good movies, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And 
Hannah, something you said after the movie, what I th- which I thought was very interesting, was that the movie felt like it was there to make a third movie. Yes. That they sacrificed pretty much everything about this movie in, you know, to set up the Sinister Six movie, which, God, yeah. if this is what they did with three villains, I can't imagine what they're going to do with six other than just make me want to cry. Because yeah. Doc Ock deserves his own movie as the only villain. And the idea of watering him down with five other people just makes me want to cry. Yep. Who are the Sinister Six? Um, they teased them. So the Sinister Six, six change over time. And I'm trying to think of who they teased during it. It seemed like they teased because like, there was iconography in the credit sequence about... You know, yeah, and they we saw showed like, a bunch of... Um, we saw Doc Ock's arms. We saw something that looked like a lion, lion's face, which uh, makes me think that they're going to bring in Craven somehow. God, I hope they bring in Craven. And that's the thing is, I feel like Craven deserves his own movie. I want to see a movie just about Craven. Not even a Spider-Man movie, a Craven movie. <laughs> You're Craven some Craven? <laughs> that's so Craven. All right. <laughs> I think we might have to leave it or else I'll break the podcast with puns. Uh, but please, if you enjoyed this, and, uh, we can talk about all number, all manner of movies. Uh, the summer movie season is going to get going into full swing, so there's going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot more, hopefully better, uh, action-packed fare to discuss, or at least just as amusing. Um, but I, it's just been a real honor. Thank you both for coming on the show for this special episode. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, definitely. thank you for inviting us. Yeah, so definitely. So, so subscribe to the podcast, uh, check out our YouTube channel, you know, come back. But most of all, find this and other sorts of related content on our home by visiting us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. We did that in really unison. Good job, everybody. Oh, I was going to say we did a horrible job. <laughs> wow. Deserve. <laughs> We're going to have to do a meta podcast where you guys come back and, and break down the pluses and minuses of the podcast that you just did with each other. <laughs> uh, when you introduced this, Pete, you said we're going to subject it to a level of scrutiny it doesn't deserve Yes, at the very beginning. And yes. I was like, that is so accurate. I wonder if that was intentional. We'll never know.